Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Let us hear now our reading for this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name, Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we sing your praises, as we lift our petitions, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, We humbly pray that you would speak to us this day in words so clear that we hear them at the core of our souls, but that in hearing them, our very lives are transformed so that we would leave this place not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. It was the five o'clock Christmas Eve service, the most popular service, the most crowded one in all the church. The sanctuary is already full, almost 25% over capacity because let's face it, on Christmas Eve, we will sit closer together so that everyone can get in the sanctuary. But even though it was full, we were already sending folks over to the fellowship hall for overflow capacity. The fellowship hall was filling up and in walked the mother and daughter. Now let me describe the look on the daughter's face. Sullen, sultry, I mean just, just rather, she'd rather be anywhere else but in church. You could tell it had not been the best afternoon for her. And then came her mother. Fire in her eyes, dragging her teenage daughter. You could tell it had not been a great afternoon for her either and that she would rather be anywhere else but right here at the moment. 
and I opened my mouth, and here are the words that came out. Merry Christmas. Now, if looks could kill, Mosby Vogler would be sizing me up for a funeral, at the, I mean, for a coffin at that moment. But with one foot in the grave, I finished my Christmas greeting and said, I'm so glad you're here. Maybe not my smartest phrase, but it was true. And she looked at her daughter, she looked at me, and she said, by the grace of God, there better be a seat in here for us. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Because you know that moment where you open your mouth and the words that come out are not your words, or at least that's the line I'm exclaiming today, there's someone else's, maybe God's words. Here's what I said, well, you've come to the right spot. We're in the grace business. She wasn't sure what to do with that. And then I wasn't sure what to do with it either. So as I carried her into the fellowship hall to find them a seat, my prayer at every step was, dear God, let there be a seat. Dear God, let there be a seat. Dear God, let there be a seat. The Lord provides. There was a seat. Mind you, it was the front row, but there was a seat nonetheless. The Christmas Eve service happened. The sacred story was told. Everyone sang Silent Night, lifted a candle, and then sang joy to the world, Christ is born. I saw them standing in my usual spot in the narthex doing crowd control and hospitality on the way out and she sought me out, the mother, and she said, I wanna thank you, which I was relieved. I wanna thank you, your words were the words I needed at that moment because you were right. We needed to be here and we needed the grace of God. And as she walked away, I smiled and thought, once again, God's grace shines through our toughest days. See, as Matthew is writing his gospel to show the people that Jesus was the Messiah, he sort of does this by pulling in the prophecies of old and making sure that people understand that what has happened in Bethlehem has happened according to to prophecy, that what Jesus' ministry about is entirely according to prophecy, that he is the Son of God, the Emmanuel, God with us. And so as it begins the passage today that Tammy just read, we begin to see how Matthew sets the tone for what is to come. It is about this child of love, this child of God's grace that has come to save the world. See, Jesus is the greatest gift given to us, this gift of grace. And when we understand that we have received it, then we too understand that we are called to share it. I mean, if we think back to the, of human history, we go all the way back to creation. Remember, the world was broken at the fall with Adam and Eve and the apple and the snake. Humanity struggled throughout the centuries trying to get back in right relationship with God. And though we tried over and over again, our imperfections and our shortcomings could not carry us the distance. And finally, God looked upon humanity and said, I will go. I will go and show them the way. And with that, he sent the Christ child. I think of a powerful image of what this looks like and really what the Christ child means for the world. If you look on the fifth page of your bulletin, you see a piece of art there. And in that piece of art, you see really what is wrapped up in this idea of grace. 
You have Eve standing there, sad, tears in her eyes, her head hung low, sullen as she could be because of what happened. Holding on to the apple, the reminder of her lack of faith, her lack of listening, her lack of trust. Her leg ensnared by the snake is a reminder of her past. But as you look at her brokenness and her fallenness, right across from her is Mary, pregnant. But if you look at her eyes, she's got kind eyes and a warm smile. She is touching Eve's cheek with this calm caress of one of sisterhood, of motherhood, one of grace that tells her it's going to be okay. But her other hand has pressed Eve's hand to her belly to let her feel the child within her that is growing, to let her feel it kick, to let her feel the vitality, to understand the joy, the peace, the hope, the awe and the wonderment of the one to be born. And if you look in the bottom of the picture, you see that Mary is standing on the head of the snake as if to say she is stomping out what has happened, that the child that is come will free us from our bondage, from being trapped in the past. You see, it's a story of grace. A story of grace for you and me. It becomes very personal for us because we begin to realize that this grace has been given to every one of us in this room, but it's specifically given to us as individuals that despite our imperfections, despite our shortcomings, despite our failures, that God's grace is here in this place for us. And it's always available. That when we come to the manger, the Christ, the child born, a babe in Bethlehem, is born for us. And by God's grace, we are freed from our imperfections and our past. But once we begin to realize the gift that has been given to us, we begin to understand how to take it deeper, how to use it to its fullest. And it starts within our own families, within our own friends, how we share that grace with the ones that we know. I think about Joseph. I mean, Joseph, when you think about the whole story of the birth of Christ, Joseph is a minor character, sort of in a supporting cast role. I mean, we hear about the shepherds and the angels we hear about the wise men, about Mary and Jesus. We hear about them all. But Joseph, almost when he gets mentioned, he's mentioned as a plus one or on the side. But think about it from his perspective. He was on top of the world. I mean, this time of year, this is a time of year when people that are in love with each other, they get engaged to get married. Jesus was not yet on the horizon and Joseph had the top of the world in front of him. He was betrothed, he was engaged, he had the love of his life, everything was great. He just wanted to live the life of a simple carpenter. He was excited about the wedding. And then he finds out she's pregnant. He finds out that she's pregnant and he doesn't want to cause her any distress. He doesn't want to get caught up in any drama. So he decides that he is going to quietly break up with her, quietly let her go so as not to cause trouble for her or for himself. But then God appears to him through an angel and begins to speak to him and begins to tell him more of the story. And at that moment in time, Joseph listens and he realizes the grace that he has been given in life. And he shares that grace with Mary. 
he shares that grace with her. And at that moment in time, he realized the grace that is for him, that he must share it with others, including this woman that he loves. Well, friends, the same lesson is available for us. When we realize the lesson of grace that we have been showered with, we must shower it upon those that, love, uh, that we love. We must love each other in spite of our imperfections. We must forgive each other to care for each other, to show each other kindness, to lift each other up. Because God's grace for us as individuals demands that we share it with each other as well. She had journeyed far. She was on a bus, this young woman, several years ago in a moment of impetuousness, a moment of hubris. She decided that she knew better for herself and she took off. Maybe she had gotten too big for her britches. Maybe the fight that she had had with her parents was stupid. But at the time, it seemed like the thing to do to run away. But she had lived in the far country far too long. Things had not worked out the way she had hoped they would. She realized her immaturity, her own hubris, and so she sought to come home. She called the house. She said, it's not worked out. Can I come home? They said, "Are sure you can come home. There's still room for you here. She says, I know we have to work on some things. But as she took that bus ride home, she started thinking through what would happen what they would have to work on, how she would have to mend fences, how she would have to rebuild their trust. She figured that she would ride in on town on the Greyhound and just have to take an Uber to the house. (coughs) But what she didn't expect was what she saw. What she didn't expect was what she saw at the bus station when she pulled in and the signs were there. The signs were there that said, welcome home. She came off the bus, and her family engulfed her embrace, hugged her deeply. What she realized in that moment was while there was work to be done, grace was evident by the way they hugged her and pulled her to each other and pulled her into their family. See, my friends, what we are called to do is to share that kind of grace with each other, those that are dear to us. And so as we take the lessons of grace and we know that grace has come for us and we must share it for others, then we begin to realize that we have got to share that same grace with all the world, not just the ones that we know. Jonathan Tisch, the CEO of the Lowe's Hotel Group, he tells a story that about hospitality, that it is the hospitality industry is one of these places where your customers are always with you. They don't just walk in your door buy something and leave. They walk in your door and they stay. They live with you, if you will. So he teaches his staff to think about the customers and their travails and what they have experienced in the journey to the hotel, to their place. He says, let's make this place an oasis in the desert. So he teaches about hospitality using the 10-5 and the first and last rule. See, that rule is this. When someone gets within 10 feet of you, he tells the hotel staff, have a posture of warmth, a posture of excitement, a posture that says, I am glad to see you. When they break the five-foot plane, be the first person that speaks in that engagement. 
welcome them, engage them with eye contact and body language, take care of their needs. And then as that interchange begins to fade, as they move to the edge of the five foot circle to leave, be the last one to speak to them, wishing them well. Show them this hospitality, this graciousness of character. As I think about his story, I think about the innkeeper of Bethlehem. I think about what his day must have been like that day so long ago. The town was full of people coming for the Roman census, doubling the population. Everywhere there were people. The inns and the hotels were all filling up. They were shoehorned in every place. He had people probably sleeping in the lobby, if you will. And the last thing he wanted was one more knock on the door. And he was probably tempted when he opened it to say, look, I'm full, go away. But when he opened the door, he saw Mary and Joseph. And at that moment in time, he had compassion upon them. He was filled with this idea of hospitality. and He had to find a place, and he did just that. He found a place for them. No, it was not a five-star accommodation, but it was still yet a place because there was room for one more. He showed the kind of grace that God wants us to offer to the world. Because what we know in God's house and in this place is there's always room for one more. There's always room for one more person to be shown grace because God's grace has been shown to us and we show it to each other. Surely we are called to show it to the world and invite them in, compelled to share it with them. So think this week, as we steam towards Christmas, whether you're getting in the car to travel or whether you're going out shopping or buying, however you want to look at it, as you go to do those things, think about the people that you will interact with. What if we practice that five, 10, first, last kind of mindset of hospitality and grace? What if our posture said to people, I am glad to see you. I care about you. You matter to me. See, when we practice those things, we begin to share with the world the kind of grace that God has shared with us, the kind of grace that we share with those that we love. And the message that we send to the world is that God loves you because God loves me and all of us. And so I will show you God's love through me because there's always room for one more person in God's house. So this morning we lit the fourth candle, the candle of love. It's not that gooey teenage love, not that Hallmark Channel romancy kind of schmaltzy stuff. No, it's the kind of love that changes the world. The kind of love that says that you matter, the kind of love that says that we can be better people if we dial into who God wants us to be. It's the kind of love that shines brightly in the darkness to shed God's grace for the world. Because what we realize in this place is that God's grace has come for us. God's grace is the grace that we're to share with each other. And God's grace is what we're to carry out from this place and invite others in. Because in this place, we find a home of God's grace for a world that desperately needs it to know that through hugs and smiles, warmth and greeting, 
that we can be freed from our past and live in the light that God wants for you, for me, and for all creation. So welcome home. This is a home of God's peace, God's love, God's hope, and most definitely, God's grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.